Greetings, friends and fellow travelers. Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour. It's March 23rd. My name is David McAdam, and it is a privilege to share these moments with you as we encourage each other with a daily intake of God's Word, reading progressively through both the Old and New Testaments. We come to another important milestone in our journey in the Old Testament today. We will be finishing the Book of Numbers, otherwise known as the Book of Wilderness Wanderings or the Book of Murmurings, And we come to the last book of the five books of Moses, the Torah. This book is called the book of Deuteronomy. But before we cross the threshold into this new book, let's finish the book of Numbers together. We're in Numbers chapter 36, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. This section deals with the marriage of female heirs. The heads of the fathers' houses of the clan of the people of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the clans of the people of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before their chiefs, the heads of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel. They said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for inheritance by lot to the people of Israel, and my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, to his daughters. But if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the people of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken away from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the people of Israel comes, then the inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, and their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers." And Moses commanded the people of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the people of Joseph is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best, only they shall marry within the clan of the tribe of their father. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the people of Israel shall be wife to one of the clan of the tribe of her father, so that every one of the people of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. So no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another, for each of the tribes of the people of Israel shall hold on to its own inheritance. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses, for Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the clans of the people of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's clan. These are the commandments and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. This is the end of our reading from the book of Numbers, but we're going on to the book of Deuteronomy today, beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 1, the command to leave Horeb. Deuteronomy 1, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them, 
after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrei. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negeb, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose from your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, The thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, Hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Then we set out from Horeb, and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Eshcol, and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and brought it down to us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt, to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you 
as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account, and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn, and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. This concludes today's reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Congratulations, everybody. We finished reading the book of Numbers and we're in the book of Deuteronomy. We've read four of the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. When we finish reading the book of Deuteronomy, we will have completed the Torah, the first part of the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. So well done, readers. The book of Numbers gives us the big picture of the 40-year pilgrimage of those whom God delivered from Egypt. The New Testament author, Paul the Apostle, writes, Now these things happened as examples for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, we receive instruction and warning from the example given from their journey, learning that God has our best interests in mind. He is sovereign and He is good, but His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. He has a greater vision for humankind than we do. He has greater vision for humanity than the humanist. He does not bow to human opinion. He is patient to the degree that He recognizes our slowness to believe but his purposes stand firm as he pursues his objectives. We are called to a worldview that is God-centered rather than man-centered. This worldview is resisted by our deceitful hearts, and yet one day every knee will bow to this reality. In the book of Numbers, we see that God did not go along with the majority vote concerning the promised land. Those who opted for doing what was right in their own eyes paid the price for not trusting God for what he promised. The unbelief of those who issued and echoed the majority report caused an entire generation to be excluded from entering Canaan. Joshua and Caleb were the only exceptions. Why? Because they wholly followed the Lord. What lessons do we learn from reading the book of Numbers? 
First, I could not help but marvel at the Lord's patience and perseverance with the people He miraculously delivered, daily provided for, and before whom He manifested His presence. Secondly, I learned that our mental attitudes are critical for our personal progress and in our relationships. Negativity, complaining, murmuring, selfish preoccupations, and jealousies give rise to grumbling, rebellion, and death within the camp. A lack of gratitude for the fresh manna and their familiarity with the things of God caused the entire camp to lust after their former life of bondage in Egypt. Their perception was so distorted that they called Egypt the land of milk and honey in Numbers chapter 16, verse 13. Have we lost a sense of wonder and thankfulness for God's blessings and presence among us that we find ourselves lusting after and pursuing the vain glories and deceptive pleasures of our corrupted world system? The book of Numbers ends with laws pertaining to the extension of a family's inheritance. We are learning as we read through the Bible that God takes special notice of the poor and those whom societies so often oppress, women, children, the foreigner, the widow, the sojourner, and those threatened with injustice because of their perceived wrongdoings and who have not been provided with a fair trial. The request of the daughters of Zelophehad to receive the inheritance land of their fathers has been heard. This would keep the land for future descendants. There was a further expressed concern that one tribe would benefit at the expense of another if the women who had land titles married husbands from another tribe. To ensure the tribal inheritance would not be lost, the heiresses were directed to marry only within their tribe. It is wise to have all our decisions, not the least of which the decision of a marriage partner, subject to the will of the Lord. Now we come to the book of Deuteronomy. The word means second law. It is a renewing of the covenant of Sinai. The terms of the covenant are reaffirmed. It is referred to as the book of the law. In the 7th century, it was the lost book. During the reign of King Josiah, Hilkiah, the high priest, discovers the book of the law while they were repairing the temple in Jerusalem. In 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8, Shaphan, the king's secretary, reads the book to the king. When the king hears the words read, he is convicted of his sin by the Holy Spirit. He tears his clothes in grief and deep repentance. He realizes that he and his forefathers have failed to honor the Lord of the Covenant made at Sinai. The book of Deuteronomy had been found. The phrase, the book of the law, is used in the Pentateuch only in reference to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy had a profound impact on King Josiah. It resulted in both a reformation and a short-lived revival in Judah. Perhaps as we read the book of the law, Deuteronomy, and understand its revelation of Christ, we too will be inspired to fresh repentance and obedient action. May it renew our vision of God's holiness and give us a fresh appreciation of His faithfulness to fulfill His demands for righteousness on our behalf, both for us and in us, through Christ Jesus. The Hebrew name for this book is Devarim, meaning the words or the real things taken from the first Hebrew word on the scroll. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 1. The opening and closing words of Deuteronomy give us a key to its interpretation. The final words, most likely written by the hand of Joshua, declares, 
and I quote from Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12, Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants in all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. End quote. What we have in Deuteronomy are the final words of Moses emerging from his face-to-face friendship with the Lord. The book consists of three messages. Moses could not have given these on the day of their exodus. His knowledge of the Lord had grown with his forty years of continuing revelation and discipline. Moses utters these speeches not from his head knowledge, but from having had the benefit of being progressively instructed by God in the knowledge of His holiness, His will, and His ways. At the end of it all, Joshua could say of Moses, Since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The first speech recounts their history in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1-43 through 43. The second speech expands on the ethical teaching of the Ten Commandments, otherwise known as the Ethical Decalogue, in chapter 4, verses 44, through chapter 11, verse 32. The Deuteronomic Code, in Deuteronomy chapters 12 through 26, contains a series of commands, mitzvot, instructing them how to live in the Promised Land. Deuteronomy chapters 27 to 28 contains blessings upon the obedient and curses upon the disobedient. The third speech, Deuteronomy chapters 29 through 30, contains the renewal of the covenant that was made at Sinai. Moses appoints Joshua as his successor who will lead them across the Jordan to conquer and settle the land of Canaan. Moses gives the written law to the priests who are to read it before the people at the end of every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy chapters 31 through 34 provide supplementary information. The succession of Joshua in chapter 31, the song of Moses in chapter 32, the blessing of Moses in chapter 33, and the death of Moses in chapter 34. The events in the book of Deuteronomy take place within the last two weeks of the 11th month of the 40th year of desert wandering. The twelfth month is spent mourning Moses. Chapter 34, verse 8. They will enter the promised land on the tenth day of the first month of Nisan. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 19. Of the forty-first year after the Exodus. Moses' final speeches in Deuteronomy are essential. He is speaking to a new generation and is giving them necessary understanding of their history and how they are to meet the challenges of the future. Go up and take possession was the command of God who was forsaken by their fathers. The former generation had slandered God's character, saying, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They are not to do the same. They are to trust the Lord who goes before them. If they do so, their victory is assured. Moses repeats the history of their journey in the wilderness to ensure that the lessons stay fresh in their minds as they face new challenges in the conquest of Canaan. Now let's read from the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 29 through chapter 6, verse 11. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician 
but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, The old is good. Chapter 6 The Lord of the Sabbath On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the end of the reading from the Gospel of Luke. It would have been very interesting to attend the party that Matthew hosted in his home with Jesus as the honored guest. What a mixed group of people, Pharisees and scribes in the same room with tax collectors and sinners, there are some who recoil at the idea of being called a sinner. Some mistakenly believe in the perfectibility of the human race and that all human beings are basically good at heart. Jesus popped that balloon in every encounter. He came into this world to destroy the work of the devil, which is the work of sin in the human heart. Sin is a terminal disease, far more severe than cancer, AIDS, or the coronavirus. The only cure for sin is the saving work of Christ. Those who are in the greatest peril are those who see no need for the cure. Self-righteousness is one of the symptoms of the disease, for it blinds and deceives the mind. When the religious professionals, the scribes and the Pharisees, ask Jesus why he eats with the tax collectors and sinners, he replies, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May we not be blinded to our need for Christ and His atoning work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The Pharisees again display further symptoms of their disease by claiming righteous superiority through the practice of piety, fasting, and prayers. 
Jesus responds that piety without divine fellowship is empty. The purpose of the attendance of the bridegroom is to observe the bridegroom, attend to his needs, and participate in what he is doing. Jesus said you cannot give orders to the attendance of the bridegroom to fast when he is feasting or to offer prayers of petitions when he is singing a song of joy. Jesus' reply shows how religious activities and practices of piety can be at cross-purposes with God. Jesus, the heavenly bridegroom, calls us into a life of fellowship. There will be times of feasting and fasting. The governing factor is Jesus. It is not religious regulation, but divine fellowship with His presence, His life, His word, and His church that determines appropriate actions. Let us do what we see Him doing through the revelation of His word and His spirit. The arrival of the Messiah means a new day for Israel. It heralds the promised new covenant in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. It is a time to put off the old and put on the new. However, Jesus was aware that some will say the old was good enough in Luke chapter 5, verse 39. When Jesus is accused of breaking the law of God while he and his disciples pick and eat grain on the Sabbath, Jesus demonstrates that he is the author of the law and the author of the Sabbath. He knows what the Sabbath was given for. He also knows scripture and history. He cites the precedent of David when he was hungry, taking the consecrated showbread, which was lawfully only for the priests, and eating it with his friends in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 6. David violated the letter of the law because he knew what the law was about. He was learning of the one who gave the law. He recognized the spirit of the law. The Sabbath was a sign given to Israel of their covenant relationship with God. It means rest. Jesus knew that the Sabbath was given to remind his people to rest in the perfect sufficiency of God's work on their behalf. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was a gift to rest in. The Sabbath is a reminder of God's rest in the sufficiency of the finished work of the first creation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus came to offer us God's rest in the sufficiency of the finished work of the new creation in Christ. The Pharisees would not dare to criticize the actions of Israel's great King David. Now a greater than David was in their midst, and they criticize him for violating a law of which he was the author. The intention of the law was not to cause hunger or harm, but to point to the rest that he himself would provide. Is it any wonder that Jesus feeds and heals on the Sabbath? The Sabbath points to his lordship. He is Lord of the Sabbath. The true Sabbath of Israel is found in a person. In trusting him and fellowshipping with him, one can find rest. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the true Shabbat, Sabbath. And now let's read from the book of Psalms. Psalm 66, verses 1 through 20. How awesome are your deeds! To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds! So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, 
whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all of you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the end of our reading from Psalm 66. This psalm has two major sections. The first section has the national history in view. The second is personal. Verses 1 through 12 is a call to the nation to raise their voices in praise to God. Shout, sing, praise, worship, bless his name, sound his praise abroad. Sing, sing, and sing some more. In their national history, God severely chastened them. The result was refinement and deliverance into a place of abundance in verse 10 and 12. The second section, verses 13 through 20, is a personal testimony. The writer expressed thanks to God for providing deliverance in a time of trouble. In his time of distress, the writer had made some vow, verse 13 to 14. In the light of the New Testament, we see clearly that it is not necessary to bargain with God in prayer. Our prayers are made on the merits of Christ and not our pledges, if you do this, then I will do that. Prayer involves open and honest communication with God. Unconfessed sin hinders prayer. Therefore, confession should be a part of our prayer life. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 9. In verse 18 of Psalm 66, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Vows are voluntary. If vows are made, they are to be kept. God is building our characters so that we become men and women who are true to our words. And now for today's proverb, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. It's a call to generosity. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. These words from Proverbs remind us of Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word and that we can believe it and rest in it. We rest in the perfect provision of your Son. Help us to live in the light of all that he has accomplished on our behalf. We find our Sabbath rest in him. Holy Spirit, motivate us to be 
generous towards others, freely giving what we have freely received. Keep us from negative mental attitudes, familiarity, and complaining. Give us thankful hearts and the power for fruitful service. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining with us today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow and continuing our Bible reading. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have any challenges in your habit of reading the Word of God, we hope that we can provide encouragement to you. More information and a written copy of today's commentary can be found on our website, newlife.org. Peace be with you.